What if there was a different way to live and work beyond the hustle and hype, beyond the never ending race to get more, do more, be more, a way that's nourishing, grounded, creative, and aligned with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Alchemy in Action with me, your host, Amanda Cook. In each episode, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello, hello, and welcome back to this episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with data-driven marketer, John Ainsworth. We are talking about so much fun, geeky marketing stuff. Don't worry, even if you're just starting out, you're going to get something from this interview. And if you're more advanced, you are definitely going to get a couple of ideas on how to improve your sales funnel. So I actually crossed paths with John to talk about one of his businesses, which is called Make Sport Fun, which is a company in the UK that encourages inactive people to get active and engage in sport. And I reached out to him because I was like, wow, that sounds really hard. (laughs) Like, how are you going to get people that are inactive engaged in sport? Because normally in marketing, I take the approach of let's find somebody that already wants to have what you have, right? They're already looking for a solution and then you can offer it to them. So I approached John about that and we chatted about it. And it turns out I was wrong. And we'll talk about that in the episode. So it's really cool what he's been doing to engage inactive people in sport and working with different government agencies and charities here in the UK to do that. So you can apply the same strategies that he uses. You can apply those in your own business because we all come up against objections and fears and concerns that people have. So that's really applicable to all of us. The other thing John and I are talking about is metrics and using numbers in your business. And I know this is something that a lot of us shy away from. And John loves metrics. He just loves using data in his business, where so many of us go off of kind of our intuition and our gut feeling. So John's walking us through exactly the numbers you need to be looking at and also sharing like some benchmarks of what he's been seeing in terms of good open rates and click rates in your emails, what you should be looking for on conversion on your landing pages, and some really awesome ideas, like simple ways you might be losing people in your funnel. Let me tell you, even if you are just starting out, you can implement a couple of these strategies. They do not take a long time. And when you hear about them, you'll be like, oh, that is so obvious. So that's really cool. I am so thankful to John for taking the time to come on the podcast. It was a really fun conversation. Now, in this podcast, we're talking quite a bit about email and marketing geeky things. And the tool I use for email is ConvertKit. Now, ConvertKit has just changed their name to Seva, but it's still the same awesome tool. Actually, they've just been improving it, just released a whole bunch of new features and reporting. I love ConvertKit. I love Seva, and I've been using them for years, and I really find it easy to use. And the way that you can segment and get to know your email list is really powerful. So I'm actually affiliate for them now, and I've got a special offer that if you sign up through my affiliate link, you can get 30 days for free. So if you'd like to try that out, what you need to do is go to wellpreneuronline.com slash CK bonus. That's like ConvertKit, right? We'll have to change the link at some point, but it's wellpreneuronline.com slash CK bonus. 
You can sign up there. You can get 30 days for free to try it out. And I've put together a video training that you'll also get access to if you sign up through that link that I just walk you through. I do a screen share and show you exactly how I set up and use ConvertKit. So it'll like shortcut you to get started with it. So I really wholeheartedly recommend that tool. I just have been so happy with ConvertKit since I switched over a few years ago. And happy to answer any questions you have about it in our Facebook community. And also, we can pop over and talk about this week's episode, as always, in our Facebook community, the Wellprinter Community Group, if you just type that in the search bar. So lots of goodness to talk about. Get your notebooks ready. I think you're going to have at least one aha moment as John and I geek out about marketing and using data to market your own wellness business. Hey, John, thanks for joining me on the show today. Oh, thanks very much for having me. So why don't you start off by just telling people what it is that you do? So I help six and seven figure online training businesses to find the holes in their marketing funnels that are losing them sales. And then I help them to fix those holes. And I also own another business, Make Sport Fun, where I help get inactive people into sport and activity. Cool. And that's why I thought it was really interesting to have you on the show because we connected a few weeks ago and I was initially interested in this idea about make sport fun. Like, wow, because I, I think the first thing I said to you is, oh, my gosh, you're doing like the hardest marketing thing, which is trying yeah. to <laughs> like people that are inactive and not interested in sport. You're trying to like sell them sport. Right. But actually, you corrected me a little bit about that. And I'd love to kind of start there with this journey of targeting people that might not think would go after health and wellness. Yeah, you had a correction for me there. You were saying, actually, these people are curious and interested in sport, but there's just a bit of a, yeah, some some issues that come up. Yeah, exactly. So with Make Sport Fun, what, what I'm doing is trying to get people from hard to reach groups into sport and activity. So that's like a term that's used by public sector in the UK. And it's referring to anybody who tends to be less active than the kind of general population. So that's Older people, disabled people, people with long-term health conditions, teenage girls, people from deprived areas, these kind of groups. And what we found, the initial assumption that everybody has is, oh, the thing is that they don't want to do activity, so we need to convince them that activity is a good idea. And that is actually not the case. It might have been the case like 30 years ago or 40 years ago or something. But there's been so many campaigns and there's so much in the press about the benefits of activity that everybody knows that they should be more active. Everybody knows that that's something they should be doing. But it's hard. You know, it's hard to get active. And these are groups who've got huge barriers to getting active. Like, for example, disabled people. It's like, well, you can't take part in lots of different activities depending on what different kind of disability you've got. You don't know what's available that is appropriate for you. Can you get in there when you arrive? Is there going to be any kind of stigma attached? Are the people going to be rude to you or, or not know kind of how to deal with you? So all these things are in the way. So most of the process that we go through when we run campaigns is how do we make it much, much easier for people to get started? How do we remove all the barriers for someone to take part in activity rather than necessarily focusing on how do we motivate them to actually do it? Mm. So I'm just thinking if you've got somebody, say, an elderly person that mm -hmm. wants to get more active or wants to make some sort of lifestyle change, right? But they've got all these fears, I guess, and concerns, realistic mm. concerns about are they going to be able to do it? So are you actually surveying those audiences to figure out exactly what the concerns are? And then you kind of objection handle and you're to use that term in your marketing? 
we've basically done all of that work around the surveying and the understanding them. And so I used to be the campaigns manager for Sport England, which is the national organization for sport in England. And what I had chance to do while I was there and kind of working with the Department of Health was around I'm trying to understand what was it that was stopping people from getting active from these different groups. So I conducted lots of focus groups and surveys and customer interviews and all kinds of ethnographic research to try and understand what those issues were. So we'd gone through and done a piece of work with each of these different groups. And so we've got a very deep understanding of what the problems are. And they're mostly around fears, concerns, worries. And then there are some practical things like, can I actually do this activity where can I go? What day is it? What time? That kind of thing. So when we're actually running the campaigns, what we'll do is we'll run this normally Facebook ad campaigns, get the message in front of people and say, look, we've got this way. We're going to help you to get active. We're going to make it easy for you to get started. We're going to find you an activity that you want to do on a day you want to do it, at a time you want to do it, somewhere near to where you live or work. And we're going to help you to get all of those things sorted so that you can easily go and take part in activity. And we get a lot of people signing up for that. And then we match them with the right activity for them and we provide them reassurance and we send them details of when the activity is, send them a voucher so they can try it for free. We tell the instructor that the person's coming. We try and do everything we can to make it easy and comfortable for them to go along and attend. Mm -hmm. So since you've uncovered all of that through your research about what's really holding these people back, how do you actually bring that into your marketing approach? Well, for example, one of the things with older people is that one of the top concerns around getting active is health barriers. So they're concerned that it's going to be too difficult. Then they're worried that they're going to try and take part and it will be too hard for them to do. It will be too intense and they'll get injured. When you're actually putting the ad together, you have to just make sure to mention it's going to be gentle. It's going to be at a pace that you can do. It's nothing rocket science about what we're writing. We're just making sure we're hitting all of those hot buttons for people, you know. So the words gentle, friendly, easy, at your own pace, these kinds of things come up a lot with that particular audience. If you were marketing to a guy in his 20s, you're probably going to be talking about competition, intensity, fitness, these kind of stuff. That's not the words to be using when you're talking to someone who's in their 70s. That's kind of one of the crucial things for getting them signed up in the first place. And then when they've signed up, we then have to continue to address all of those things. So we can say to them, look, this is all the stuff we've got in place with each of these activities. It means that it's just right for you. And we just reassure them that those things are all happening. So the instructor is going to be making sure that it's at the right pace for you. So just going into a little bit more detail. Mm -hmm. And if you find that it's too hard, like on, on a walking group or something, you know, there'll be a chance to go and sit down on a bench or whatever the thing is that mm -hmm. is in place, just letting them know that's there so that they feel that they can go and do it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to pick up on something you said, which is Facebook ads. So would you mm -hmm. target elderly people with Facebook ads? Oh my God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. The fastest growing group on Facebook is 55 plus. The most engaged group on Facebook is 55 plus. This is data from last year, so the numbers will actually be higher now. But 53% of 55 to 64 year olds are on Facebook, and 41% of 65 to 74 year olds are on Facebook. So that whole age group, you've got just about half of them are on there. I might be wrong on this number, but about 70% of people aged 55 plus have got a smartphone and their kids install Facebook for them or their grandkids or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. and they, they like looking at pictures of the grandkids on Facebook. And so they go on there and they scroll through and you know how like you watch like a teenager go through Snapchat or Facebook or whatever, they're scrolling at like hundred miles an hour. 
people in their 60s don't do that. They go, they just very slowly go through one by one and they read everything that's there. Yes, I've noticed that. that. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> With my it's, own family yeah. members. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you reading everything? You're not supposed to read everything online. Just skim, skim. And like, So yeah, but actually that's really interesting because then I bet a lot of the strategies we use for Facebook ads and stuff where you want something that's just like really fast and skimmable, actually maybe you could create them in a totally different way for that audience because they probably are going to spend time with them. Yeah, I'm trying to think whether we do the, when we're creating it, we've tested like doing a longer post versus shorter ones with that age group. Mm. I can't remember if we have, but I do know that they're the easiest to engage on Facebook by quite a distance. Like it's in every single campaign that we run, we found the same thing. And they're the cheapest per lead to get to sign up. There's a really interesting group in the UK. I'm trying to remember the name of them. They run activities in the park, British Military Fitness, that's what they're called. And they'd always done this kind of boot camp shouting at people mostly guys in their 20s. And they started running Facebook ads and they found that people in their 50s, I did tests with all different age groups, they found that people in their 50s were really interested in signing up for something. They didn't want to be shouted at and made to carry tires up a hill or what have you, but they did want to do some activities in the park, you know. And so that's a group that they had incredible success with. It kind of changed the whole shape of the company running it and made them a ton of money from it. Because I don't know, other people weren't targeting them, but this is an audience who really wants to get active. They've got the time. They're still healthy enough when they're in their 50s and 60s. If they're in their 80s, it's much harder. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it's just a kind of a perfect storm at the moment of a, an audience to target with Facebook. That's so cool. And Facebook's really evolved over time and still is evolving. And I think a lot of times maybe it, like Facebook's shifting. So maybe it is the older demographic that's on there versus the younger people are going someplace else. So I think it's good to question our assumptions about, oh, we'll never be able to target older people online because that's obviously not true anymore. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I hear it from everybody. It's kind of a natural assumption. It's just about five years out of date. That's all we have to keep with online marketing or to keep recognizing what has changed and update our assumptions, like you say. Yeah. And the way that you've been able to figure that out is to segue into the other one of your expertises is through data and through actually running Facebook ads and seeing what the data shows. And I especially wanted to have you on to talk about this because I'd say in general, let me stereotype the Wellpreneur listeners, but we like to use our intuition and make decisions based on what we want to do and what we feel is right versus looking at the hard numbers. And so you're going to bring like the totally other perspective to us today, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I am, absolutely. So I'm very analytical. I've got a maths degree. I just naturally, my starting point when I'm looking at how well some marketing is doing is to look at the numbers. I think it took me a while to realize that that was not the same for nearly everybody else. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I think that's like your superpower because like you said, that's so normal for you. You just assume everybody does it, but we absolutely do not do that. So I'm glad we can pick your brain here on the podcast. So I know you normally work with pretty large established businesses, but if you wouldn't Mm -hmm. mind, kind of we can play around with the idea of, let's say like somebody that's doing a content marketing strategy in kind of the health and wellness space. And maybe we're looking at say under 200K revenue per year or something like that size business. Say they've got a website with a blog, they're doing content marketing, they've got email, and they've got maybe a couple digital products and some coaching or something that they sell. I'd say that's a pretty typical Wellpreneur business. What kind of numbers should that person be looking at? Okay, so starting point before looking at the numbers is looking at what is the funnel? What is the shape of the funnel? And sometimes when I say that, people are like, right, what exactly do you mean by funnel? So let me try and be specific there. It's like every step that the customer goes through before they buy. And what I like to do to make it simpler is look at the ideal steps 
that people would go through. So let's say your kind of perfect customer or the most common way that someone signs up. So let's say, for example, let's just imagine it is they go to Google, they click on a link from just general search results, they come through to a blog page on your site, there's some kind of a lead magnet and they sign up for that. It's an ebook or a video course or something like that. And then that takes them to a confirmation page. And after that, they get five emails and the five emails, the fifth email points them to the digital product. And then if they don't buy that, there's a email six through 10 that point them to the coaching. Like, let's say that's the whole thing, right? Draw that out and draw out every single bit of it. Like what page do they go to after they click on this thing? What do they do? How many emails are they going out? What pages are the emails pointing people to? And that, you know, is really enlightening in and of itself, because when you do that, sometimes it becomes obvious, oh, that's weird. Why are we doing this? Why is there a gap here? Why aren't we pointing these people to anything over there? That kind of thing. Or you realize it's broken. Like something that I found in my own business a couple of years ago is you give people an offer to buy something and then they don't take it. And then nothing happened. <laughs> like they just, <laughs> we just abandoned them. And, it, and I actually went through that exercise at one point when I was writing my book and like drew out the whole funnel. And you realize, oh, there's all these people that didn't buy something. Let's keep it going. Let's keep offering them other stuff. And just identifying holes like that is super valuable. Yeah, that's like step one. And even before looking at the numbers, I think that's such a valuable thing to do. And it's I use a tool for that called Funnelitics, which is the word funnel and then Y-T-I-C-S, funnelitics.io. And it's a free tool. It's designed for mapping out your marketing funnel. So they've got like little graphics for sales page, email, Facebook, that kind of thing. Beautiful, really makes it really easy to do. What do you do with that after? Do you print that out and hang it somewhere so you keep reminding yourself? <laughs> or like, do you just leave it? I don't know. Do you do anything with that after you've created it? What I'll do is I'll go back and update it every so often because this is a changing process because you make changes. It's something to go back and actually update. But it's not something I'm looking at regularly. I do it in order to get the idea of how the funnel works. And mm -hmm. then I start putting it out in a spreadsheet. I don't actually look at it until... I don't know. I don't have a hard and fast rule on this, but probably like after a couple of months to go, right, what changes have we made? Let's see how the funnel looks now. Right. Got it. Okay. So that's step one. And then step two is then putting all of those stages into a spreadsheet and putting what the numbers are. And this is incredibly revealing because what happens here is you have like a, you have to go and search to find what the numbers are, first of all. And it proves to most people that they don't know what the numbers are. And secondly, that their numbers aren't always as good as they thought they were. So for example, if you've got a sales page for a digital product and you think to yourself, ah, oh, this sales page is converting at 5% and that's really good for a sales page and I'm happy with that. What can easily have happened is it was converting at 5% in one month, four months ago when you did look at it. And now it's actually on average converting at 2%. Very, very common. And it kind of means that people don't realize, oh, something's wrong here or something's broken there. So just writing all those numbers down is awesome because mm -hmm. that means that you you notice what they are. I know a lot of people find it uncomfortable, but that's all right. It's okay to be uncomfortable as long as it allows you to achieve what your goals are. Mm -hmm. And I think writing it down, like once you had it in the spreadsheet, so I'm imagining you've got each step in the funnel and then you put in what the numbers are. Then it's a format that would be really easy to update like on a monthly basis or have your VA update on a monthly basis. So you can really track the performance of the funnel, right? Whereas otherwise, like you said, you kind of just go in and check it whenever you think about it. Yeah. As you're writing in each of those stages and you find what the number is, you make a note of the Google Analytics link that got you that number. 
or what if it's not Google Analytics, wherever it is you've got the number from. Because then you can give that to your VA and they can go and get those numbers really easily. And it's just like, you don't have to do this yourself every month. But it's, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really neat way of being able to update it easily. Yeah. So just to think through the process of the funnel. So say somebody's coming in from, let's just do a really simple funnel, kind of like what you outlined. So someone comes in from Google, hits one of your blog posts just through organic search, and then signs up at the opt-in at the bottom of that list or at the bottom of the blog post. So they sign into your email list and then they get put into a five email autoresponder series that makes them an offer for a product. So if we're starting and starting to look at metrics, I guess first, are we going to look at the number, like we go to Google Analytics and see, well, how many people are even hitting the website this month? How much traffic? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So the starting point is normally number of website visitors and putting that in at the top. And then the next main stage will be number of people making it as far as the landing page. You know, let's say just for sake of argument that you've got the landing page separate it's not just a sign up box, but there's a button that takes you to a separate landing page. Mm. Well, how many people get to that landing page? And then how many people fill in the form and get to the next step? And then how many of those people then open the emails that they're sent? And then how many of them click on them and get through to your sales page? And then how many of them buy the thing? Mm-hmm. Got it. And when I was really looking at that stuff, I was seeing that like an opt in landing page, you could get like around 50%, say, conversion for just an opt-in if it's on its own page. But for a sales landing page, you're looking at 2%, 1%. Yeah. 1% do those sound right? Yeah, I'd say 50% for a landing page would be really high. Like what I like to do with these kind of things is look at what's a decent level. Because in order to get something from good to brilliant, it takes a lot of work. But to get it from terrible to good <laughs> or terrible to decent is not so much work. Mm-hmm. It's not to say it's not worth going for the 50%, but I normally find there are the easier wins with those kind of things. So, right. I mean, I've totally gotten 50%. That's my standard that I use on now, never on like if you just have an opt in form on a site, never 50%. But if it's a standalone page that people have to click to, I've definitely gotten regularly 40s and 50s. So I think if you have a really targeted audience, I think that's possible. But totally, yeah, I don't think it's kind of 30. Oh, it's totally possible. I've had 50% ones before, but it's not the norm. You know, it's like 30 to 40 is definitely doable. Yeah. You know, if you look at 50 and you go, well, I'm currently getting 20, kind of, I don't know. If you're getting 40 and you try to get to 50, it might be tons of work. But if you're getting 20 Mm. and you try to get to 40, it's not that much work. Yeah. So that's my point. It's like you can do that extra work. Maybe you know your audience really well and your messaging really nailed and you've got great images and you're good at copywriting and you've got good design. You know, all I mean, of those I things know, together. Yeah. I don't know how I hit 50% because I would <laughs> say like I'm in general definitely not hitting it out of the park on all the marketing. But anyway, I just put that out there as I think it is possible. But I love this approach of, you know what? It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't even have to get it to be as good as it can be. Just get it good enough and it will be good enough. Right? Yeah. And you can get it out there. So that's good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, especially because most people have steps in their funnel that they're not doing anything for. So I'll give you an example, right, of what I mean there. If you've got those visitors getting to that landing page and they get to the landing page and you've got, let's say, 35% of those people sign up for the offer, you could say, well, that's great. I'm going to try and get this 40 or to get the 50, what have you. But what happens on the confirmation page at the moment? What have you got on the confirmation page? Most people on that page have got something that says thank you. And that's Mm. it. And that page is incredibly valuable because people are at a stage at that point when they've said to themselves, I've got this problem. I'm going to search online for it. It's bugging me right now at this particular moment in time. Something has caused them to be bothered by this thing. They've gone to Google. They've searched for it. 
they've seen a link that they think sounds like it might solve their problem or give them something interesting. They've clicked on it. They've got through to your site. They've really now got the problem quite clear in their head. They've read your article. They liked it. They clicked on the button. They went to your landing page. This is the moment. This is the time. This is the point when they are most clear on the issue. They get to the thank you page and all it says is thank you. What a waste. So instead of worrying about trying to improve the landing page a bit further, if you can identify what are the steps in your funnel like that that have nothing at the moment, then you can make giant improvements really quickly. Oh, so on that thank yeah. you page, you could do a couple of things. You could The easiest thing, the one I like the most, is just to offer something cheap for sale, like a $7 offer or $27 offer or something like that. And somewhere between 1% and 10% of people, depending on your offer and your audience, etc., will buy that tripwire offer right there and then. You don't have to send them emails to get them back to it. You don't have to run Facebook retargeting to get them back to it. They will buy it right away. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, normally that's missing and there's nothing happening at all. And so that's the kind of stuff where it's what I'm talking about, with those low-hanging fruit. It's easier to fix that than to try and improve the landing page. Ah, that is such an awesome suggestion. I think for everybody listening, just do that one thing, right? Like if you just do that, you'll get an impact from it. So by putting on your thank you page, there's a couple of things I've tried. I've done the offer and that actually works really well. I did like a special one-time, actually, I'm still doing it, a one-time only offer, which works quite well. But I've also, nice. before I had that, would direct people to our Facebook group. So we've got a private Facebook group for the community. And I embedded in there the link that click here to join our Facebook group. And that really helped with signups to the group because people there, like you said, they're in the stream of taking action and they want to keep engaging with you. So there's lots of things you could send people to to keep that momentum going after the opt-in. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever's top on your list. I love the sales one because it's so straightforward. And I, I really like simple. But if that's not your top thing, if you want to indoctrinate people first, you can have an indoctrination video on that page. Mm-hmm. If you want to build up your Facebook group, then you can have the link to the Facebook. You know, whatever's top on your list of what do you really want people to do next, mm-hmm. don't let it be in the email because only 30% of people open the email. So you've lost the other 70%. Can know? we talk about that? That boggles my mind still. I mean, I get it once somebody's been signed up for a few months, but literally people will just sign up. And then that first email that goes out, I'd say that one maybe is 60% open rate. And then it goes steadily downhill so that until you get to about 20 to 30% open rate, right? Over time. I mean, it's crazy that people would sign up and then not read the thing you just sent them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They've signed up for a bunch of things. They're kind of interested. They're like, I think this is the right thing for me. But then once that moment's gone, they're now at a point where they're like, oh, look, cat videos. (laughs) You know, (laughs) their attention has gone somewhere else. And now you've got to compete against everybody else in their inbox you've got that moment when you've got their attention but after that everybody else is trying to get their attention too email accounts are now seen almost more like a social media stream than something you're supposed to go through all of them you know and you just kind of look at the subject interesting now and skip over stuff so yeah you know know what's amazing text messaging is out of this world conversion rates if you can use it in your funnels we introduced it. We have text messaging has about a 95% open rate and about a 60, 65% click through rate versus email, which is about 30% open rate and about 2 to 4% click through rate. So if you have something that is like a, a high value offer that somebody has shown some kind of interest in, sending them text messages is unbelievably powerful. Wow. Like so good. Wow, 95%. 
And maybe they just open maybe they just open it to make the little notification thing go away on their phone, but still yeah. they've opened it and read it, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Have, have you played with Facebook messaging at all? Yeah, I've played with it a little and it's it's like I think Facebook messaging, particularly um, automated Facebook funnels is like one of the things that's about to blow up you know mini chat is awesome i've seen people who are running mini chat funnels and you know for their facebook messenger and getting incredible results from it and i'm all i'm really looking for an excuse to run a, a facebook messenger funnel for somebody because the potential there is enormous so when you say it's about to blow up you don't mean it's about to stop working you mean it's about to it's like no, it's really gonna big. take off yeah yeah, I think it started working really, really well, especially because the technology's caught up in terms of automating it. And some people are getting amazing results from it. And I think everybody else is about to start going, oh, this is brilliant. You know, this is really good. And then, of course, what happens after a period of time, because everybody's doing it, it will become less effective. So I think there's a point now, like the next whatever it is, year, two years, when that's going to be just the next level kind of thing to use. It's interesting what you said before about how we read email differently, like we interact with our inbox differently. I hadn't really thought about it like that, but it is almost like a social feed. Like there's just so much email. You kind of just scroll through and and delete a whole bunch of stuff and then just click the things you're most interested in. So it's really different than when it used to be like, oh, mail, you know, oh, you've got mail. Like it was like <laughs> exciting <laughs> to, to have a little like thing in your inbox. And now it's like, oh, another thing in my inbox. I don't know. How do you approach that? Because I think I believe that email is still, it's such the essential, it's the essential hub of online marketing is building that email list and being able to talk to people that way. So I don't know. How do you approach email so that it does get, I don't know, so that we can kind of, yeah, get people to pay attention to us, I guess. Yeah, what I found is that most email is pretty generic. And this is where I found to be the biggest wins for the campaigns that I've run is making it really, really personalized. And the way to do that is through an initial sign up survey. So this is another potential use of that confirmation page is having a a sign up survey after someone's just signed up, asking them kind of big questions about themselves to help you segment what version of the email should they get. So, for example, one of the campaigns I was running for, I ran a campaign for Macmillan Cancer Support, which is a big cancer charity here in the UK. And they wanted to support cancer patients to stay active over long term. And so uh, had different versions of the emails for people based on whether they had been active before they had cancer or whether they hadn't been active before. Because if someone had been active before, we found that that they were likely to be uh, confident about getting active again, but needed to know more detail about where to go. They needed some maybe case studies of other people who got back into activity and they needed some support with getting started. And so we put together lots of emails about that, linked up lots of good resources around that. Whereas if somebody hadn't been active before, we found they needed a, long, a much longer period to start with before they were ready to get going. And so we had to have much more stuff about the benefits of activity and helping them to start thinking about what they're going to do and just a more gradual kind of process. So there's two completely distinct versions of the emails, but then we segmented it further or personalized it further rather based on age and gender. So if somebody was a man in their 30s or a woman in their 60s, they would get different case studies in the emails. So it became much more personalized to them. And what I found 
is that the level of personalization makes increases the engagement from people. And there's been quite a lot of research done around this, like uh, HubSpot did some research. They found that with websites, 74% of people are frustrated that the website is the same, they're seeing the same thing as everybody else. I haven't seen the, state, the, the data for the emails. But if you look at stuff from like Amazon, you know, Amazon stuff's been personalized for forever. Whereas most of us have got like, okay, you've signed up, you're going to get these six emails. Then if you don't buy that, you're going to get these seven emails over here. Mm-hmm. And there's no difference based on whether you are whatever it is, new in business or you've got an established business or whether you are uh, based in the UK or the US or any of these kinds of things. And so putting that kind of personalization in place, I found has increased the engagement levels, increased the kind of responsiveness because people go, oh, this is for, this is for me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. What are you seeing in terms of like open rates and click-through rates and stuff these days? Yeah, so general newsletter stuff is that kind of 20 to 30% for the open rates. Yeah. The ones that are converting really well, I think we've got, I mean, it's still, it's still not everybody, but I think we're looking at something around 50%. It wasn't as high as 60, I know that. So we're still, you know, even with all those improvements, it's still like, you know, it's only half the people are actually even opening yeah. emails. But yeah. that's that's kind of on the good side of what we've seen. I mean, like, the highest I've heard from anybody talking about these kinds of things is like around 60 and 70 percent. Wow. And that's like absolute maximum I've, I've ever heard. I've never seen that. Yeah. Except for people who like, uh, you know, have like, a, they're just starting their email list and they've got like 100 people on it and they know them all. <laughs> and they might get that. Yeah, high. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that would be, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm seeing more like in the 20s usually. So what do you, I was wondering, because I guess when I, you know, you mentioned, well, people have parts of the funnel that they just kind of abandon and forget about. I'm wondering, do you ever take a look at like re-engagement campaigns and, you know, being like, show me all the people that haven't opened anything in like X number of months and then try to do something to reactivate them? Yeah, you know what? I've not done as much with that as I should have done, to be honest. I, the one, the campaign I do run for them, the kind of the wind back campaign is the re-engagement campaign is, is quite straightforward. It's like, you know, I saw you haven't opened your emails in forever. I don't want to bug you. If you don't want to get these emails anymore, then don't worry, I'm not going to send you anything else. If you would like to get them, then please click on this link or please hit reply, that kind of thing. And that's kind of, it's quite a soft sell, but it's, yeah, it's that's what that's kind of what I have done. I think there were more advanced versions of it, but I've not. Yeah, but you know, even I've something like that, I mean, that's basically what I've done too, is like a, three email sequence that's that's basically that and then and then at the end of it if they still don't reply then deleting them from the list which i think yeah. is kind of quite scary for people but it seems like well it's going to increase your open rates because you'll have the people on your list that are actually opening right and what's the point of paying for people on your list that never open your stuff so it does feel good to clean out once in a while yeah it's really interesting you know there's two bits of research about that one from most people are saying, well, it's going to improve your delivery. It's going to stop, you know, you're not going to be bugging people who don't want to hear from you. MailChimp did a piece of research where they found if you're selling something that's like, you know, a brand, you're selling something, whatever, your fat face selling, you know, T-shirts, whatever, then actually you're better off keeping those people on your list because even if they never open it, they still see your company name on a regular basis. Really? <laughs> so it improves your wow. branding, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know which of those is, is more right. I tend towards the delete them when they, if they don't open it anymore side of things. But, uh, yeah, that's an interesting counterpoint, isn't it? Yeah, I never thought about that. I mean, I guess it is true that they get more and more familiar with your name, but 
I don't know, for me, it comes down to, honestly, when I start to cross like another threshold in my email, in, in ConvertKit, yeah. <laughs> like whenever I get like over the 10,000 mark, then I'm like, oh, and I go back and I do a big clean out. And now I'm like, you know, well under that again. So I've got a few more months to like <laughs> breathe. I don't know. I just, it really bugs me to be, pay- maybe it's my cheap upbringing, but to be um like paying for all these people that I'm not actually, that are never opening my stuff. So Yeah, but I never thought about that other point. So thank you. Do you have something in marketing, kind of the marketing world that you're like really excited about or geeking out on or really the next thing that you're watching that you're excited about? Yeah, well, it might be it might be those messenger ads. I'll tell you why, because it's it's personalized and it's instant. And so it's all the things that I I think are like the next level. So, okay, so the, the overall themes of what I think are the next level of marketing that are coming through segmentation and personalization and if there's maybe a third one then that kind of instant instant response as well and so what you've got with with the many chat funnel is this ability to set up logic within it so people can you ask them a question then you give like a multiple choice answer they click one of them and it acts as if it's like writing a response for like two or three seconds and everybody knows you know that it's not really but it kind of makes it feel more natural mm-hmm. and then it puts up the next level the next question and sends them on to the next thing and so it's really personalized to people. The open rates on it are enormous. I don't know the exact numbers, but I know they're really, really high. Something around the kind of 70, 80, 90 kind of percent, you know, mark and the really, really high click through rates as well. There's a episode of um, the Digital Marketer podcast where they interviewed Jason Swank talking about it. And he's got some, some numbers on that one. And because it's personalized, it makes it much more like what people actually want in their marketing. They actually, you know, the ideal of marketing, the absolute ideal would be you have a one-to-one conversation with each person. And you know what? That's not possible. And that's why we do online marketing, because it's more efficient and more cheap. But if we can mimic that one-to-one conversation, then we're going to do better. And so all of these tools kind of start to allow us to do it. And if you look at Netflix, you know, everybody has a different version of their Netflix account. Everybody has a different version of their Amazon website. But most of us have just got like a static website, you know, and it's 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 possible now to personalize your website. There's a tool called Write Message that allows you to do it. But I think this this uh, use of Facebook Messenger is that's that's for me. That's what I'm I'm really excited about seeing kind of how that how that works when I can manage to to get running with it with a new campaign. Awesome. Cool. Well, you go off and try it out and then yeah. report back to us in a few months about all the amazing things you've learned. We'd love to, I'd love to hear about that. Okay. So just to wrap us up then, so why don't you leave us with a couple action steps that people out there listening can actually do this week to start to get more visibility into the, the numbers for their business? Okay, cool. So there's a five-step process and I've gone through a couple of them. One is just draw out what your funnel is. Second one is to actually track what the numbers of those are. And I won't go through the other three now because it'll kind of just take too long. But I've got a, a free video course that kind of can take people through exactly how to do these things. It's at datadrivenmarketing.co, not .com, .co, slash start. And it's like a, it explains kind of the five stages of the how they can actually go through and, and do it. But that's the crucial things I would say. If you outline your funnel and then you track what your numbers are, I think almost instantly you will find something that you're able to improve and change quite easily. Mm-hmm. Awesome. John, thank you so much. We'll link all of that up in the show notes so people can access it. And also um, we'll be talking about it in our Facebook community. So you're welcome to pop in over there and chat with us this week. Nice. If you feel like it. Cool. So thanks so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It's great. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. As always, you can get all the links to everything we talk about in the show notes at wellpreneuronline.com. And if you'd like to try out the email tool that I love and you have used myself for the past several years, then you definitely want to check out ConvertKit. I'm an affiliate for them. And if you'd like to get 30 days for free, as well as my own bonus training on how to set up ConvertKit, you can get that at wellpreneuronline.com slash bonus. If you have any questions about that or want to chat about something in the episode, come join us in our Facebook community group and I'll see you over there. Okay, have a fantastic week and I'll see you back in the next episode. Thank you.